Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to one of my favorite shows of the year. We didn't do it last year because time is a flat circle in the pandemic, and uh, that year didn't happen, or maybe there were three basketball years. I don't know how many basketball years there were. Anyway, welcome back. Cody Hodek is here. I'm completely sober, if you're wondering, but I am all jazzed up on defense, because that's what we're talking about today. It is the second ever Thinking Basketball defensive awards, where we just go through and make up a bunch of categories and try to talk about the best defenders in those categories. Cody, how are you feeling about this? You said this is your like favorite episode. I dreaded this episode since you told me about it like weeks ago. I'm like, oh my god. I mean... It's it's that one topic that you bring up and everyone just loses their minds. You bring up defense and all of a sudden there's theories and thoughts flung all over the place and people get really worked up about it. So um, I've calmed myself down, but I've been very stressed about this for a while. Stress-inducing topic, the defense. So yeah, I think the main thing that stressed me out when, when you brought this up, like I said, like everyone loses their minds about it. But with defense, like, there's just, there's so many players. There's so many really high-level defenders. And this is, like, the one thing that, like, when we're talking about offense, like, you can easily look up efficiency. You can pull up some driving stuff. But so many of these things just don't have statistics connected to them, mm, yep. right? So there's not, like, an easy way to be, like, all right, here's, like, what this database is telling me. Here's a nice way where I can kind of pluck out some players, know that I'm at least in the right vicinity. Here... You kind of just have hearsay. You have popular podcasts calling out certain players. You have certain Twitter accounts, uh, like, really blowing up their guys. And, you know, you kind of get lost in that. And you're like, all right, what's real? What's fake? And then you dive into it. And you're like, I just have a mess of notes now, and I don't know what to do with it. Well, clearly, the only way to do it is to watch, I mean, hundreds of hours of every team and then parse out, to, you know, <laughs> very, very carefully who the best uh, defenders in the world are. And that's what we've done Sort of. I mean, I always feel like with this topic, you can just watch forever and ever and ever. So I think moving forward, the big takeaway for me, and we'll get into the categories here, is next year trying to figure out even more precise categories that makes it a little easier to wrap our head around the superlatives and the guys who are really good in these particular defensive areas that don't have stats. That, that aren't kind of something we think about. When we think about offense, we might think about best handle. We might think about best passer. We might think about best movement shooter. We might think about best post-up player. And defensively, I think historically, it's always kind of been like rim protector and perimeter defender or something like that. Uh, but I think, you know, we, I don't know how many we ended up with this this season. We've got seven or eight to get through, and we'll start in a second. But one big takeaway for me is like, oh, we're going we're gonna to hit some philosophical bumps today. And defense is so murky and so hard to quantify right now in the game. Uh, Next year, I think the goal is to have categories that can be even tighter and more precise and kind of, I felt like there were guys that we missed that I want to talk about. Like I want to talk more about Dorian Finney-Smith, but I don't know where to get him in the top, you know, the top of the top of any category kind of thing. Yeah, and it's something that you just said. I want to talk about a couple of those things. But when you talk about the rim protection, it's about perimeter defense. Rim protection at least has some like pretty stable numbers you can look at. Like You can look at defensive field goal percentage, the amount of shots you can test at the rim, things like that. Perimeter de- defense, to me, has always been this super nebulous term. I mean, you talk about it from like the 80s and 90s and people like these are the best perimeter defenders. And you're like, are you sure like these guys weren't actually better? Like what are what are the reasons that we say this person's the best perimeter defender besides them winning defensive player of the year awards or just like 
other people saying that they're really good. And that's the other thing is when you have these guys that don't necessarily have the name recognition, like we were going to talk about screen navigation at some point. And I was like, you know, from going back to my notes, I've really liked Reggie Bullock's screen navigation. Hmm. But like, is Reggie Bullock really a good enough screen navigator to be right. mentioned with everyone else? Right. So that's that's where that got really difficult. Yeah, we've graduated that and just folded it right into uh, best point of attack defender. And maybe like the Oscars, the way they start with like a big category right away, maybe we should start with best point of attack defender. So... This is from, uh, again, just polling, thinking basketball, our team, and a handful of votes and kind of looking at the names that bubble up. The, the winner, can I just go right to the ballot? Does anybody need to get slapped before I start with this? Can we, the, uh, I'm not touching that. I'm not touching that. The winner of the Thinking Basketball Award in 2022 for best point of attack defender with a narrow victory... From the Chicago Bulls, Alex Caruso. Yeah, this is, I think he was in in my ballot. I don't necessarily know if I had him number one. I'm actually pretty sure I didn't have him number one. But he's also a name that I'm like, I can accept him being number one. He was the only guy who appeared on everyone's ballot. Um, and we should also talk about some of the other players who challenged him. It was pretty close in terms of trying to like give points to votes and things like that. So Mikhail Bridges was second. He was behind him. Marcus Smart was just right behind Mikhail at third. And then Drew Holiday at fourth. And then a little drop, drop off before fifth with Gary Payton the second. Other guys who were on ballots, DeJounte Murray, Lonzo Ball, Derek White, Matisse Thibel, Herb Jones. He's a young rookie down in New Orleans. We're going to have to talk about him at some point today. But I, too, uh, I may have had Caruso first on my ballot. Uh, I obviously have done a video on him and Lonzo earlier in the year, especially at how good they are at point of attack. And going back to screen navigation, if I were starting and breaking out a list of guys who I thought were great screen navigators, guys like Caruso, McHale, Marcus Smart, the top three in this category. I mean, those guys immediately come to mind and they all do it a little differently in terms of technique. But so much of what happens to me in today's game with these quick hitting screen and roll actions at the in the middle of the floor is like, whether it's a handoff or the actual dribbler, is can, as a defender, you stay connected or somehow mitigate the amount of advantage that that screen creates. And whether you're sticking a shoulder in, keeping your hip connected, you have great footwork. One thing Caruso does is he gets his hips and feet up above the screen as an initial reaction. So he feels the screen and he kind of pops forward instantly and that allows him to get around it. I think these guys, it's such a sort of critical starting point for plugging point of attack defense. Yeah, so again, this is one of those categories where you look at the names. You have Alex Crusoe, Marcus Smart, Drew Holiday, like tremendous point of attack. If you have them as your point of attack defender, you're not complaining, right? You're like, oh, I have one of the best point of attack defenders right now. What in your mind, like when you're setting up your ballot, what are the sorts of things that separate the skill levels of some of these guys that you're seeing in front of you? That's a great question because I think the screen navigation is part of it. But a lot of these guys are um, disruptive with their hands. They can anticipate where to be. They, if someone's flipping the screen or the offense, um, you know, comes down and they're setting the screen at a certain angle, they can quickly ice or switch their hips or push the ball to the sideline or things like that. So I think it's strong hips, quick feet, 
good hands, good awareness, kind of an understanding and anticipation of the actions that are being called, probably an understanding of the scheme you have and the guys you have behind you and realizing like, if I have a shot blocker behind me, how I can play that a little differently. If I'm in an ice coverage, a a coverage where we know we're pushing the ball in one direction, right? I want to influence the ball. I can't get crossed over the other way or we're going to have a big breakdown. So I feel like those guys are really good at it. And then frankly, all of these guys we talked about at the top, Caruso, McHale, Smart, Drew, they're all built in a way now, Cody, where if they have to switch, whether it's onto the big or or whatever, to whoever's setting the screen, that's not a problem either. And we'll talk about switchable defenders later, but these guys all have this in spades and I think they they read the they read the game they understand what the offense is doing all of them are actually pretty good now that I think about it at getting their hands in in passing lanes from the on-ball position right like sticking their hands up and actually deflecting a pass so I think that suite of skills serves this category very well yeah, when I was thinking about it, there's almost like two kinds of categories of point of attack defense. Number one, you might be defending a point guard who's who's really heavy in running pick and rolls because pick and rolls are such a big part of the game. You have to be navigating those screens. But also that point guard or whomever it is that you might be guarding at the point of attack might decide to go ISO. And I think there are some of these guys that are a little bit better navigating screens and some that are better in ISO. Like, for instance, I think Drew Holiday is is not as good of a screen navigator as, say, like Alex Caruso. I think he's just a little bit bigger. It's, it's harder to, to move, like, the size of his body around. But, like, I, I don't know if you watched the Brooklyn-Milwaukee game from a couple of days ago or a couple, few days ago. I don't even know how long ago it was. But Drew was locking Kyrie Irving down a little bit. And it wasn't necessarily around screens. It was like, I'm going to ISO you up. And Drew's like, you know, pulling up the shorts. He was like metaphorically slapping the hardwood. And he's like, all right, let's do it. And he was doing it. And I think I think he gets his points in my mind from that straight isolation defending, even though he's still pretty solid at screen navigation, just not as good as guys like Caruso or Smart. Should we just go to best isolation defender as a as our next category since we're segueing into it naturally? Let's do it. Okay. So best isolation defender for 2022. And this one, I mean, this could just be a function of trying to give different votes, different point counts with the, the board of point count. Um, but it was very close. It was extremely close. We almost had co-winner, a co-winner, co-winners. I guess you need co-winners. Co-winners. Um, Yeah, we almost had co-winners. So the winner of the 2022 Best Isolation Defender, and to be clear, for this category, for isolation defense, we basically say this can be post-up heavy. Of course, post-up isn't that popular anymore. It can be perimeter heavy. It can be some combination in your mind. But I don't know about you, Cody, but I think it more applies to the outside today than the interior. You agree with that? Yeah, and I also, I think of it as like, whereas point of attack is a lot more of the Trey Youngs, the Kyrie Irvings, isolation might be more, you know, if he's healthy, the Kawhi or Jimmy Butler or LeBron, like some of these bigger forward bodies that you have to take one-on-one in these sorts of matchups. Yeah, and I think specifically the way the floor is set up today, you're more likely to see isolation sets um, at the end of clocks on switches on kind of perimeter isos or some guys will get the ball around the elbow area in certain sets and isolate in there so maybe in the 90s you know your perimeter defense was jordan catches 
at 19 feet and you got to contain him somehow, or it's like Hakeem in the post. That's your isolation defense. But I think today it's really common to see him in those spots on the floor. And without further ado, the winner of the 2022 best isolation defender for the thinking basketball defensive awards goes to Mikhail Bridges of the Phoenix Suns. He narrowly defeated Drew Holiday. And then we had a bunch of guys kind of in the distance also receiving votes. Um, I'll just read them off. Marcus Smart appeared on half the ballots. And then we had other guys like Herb Jones, Maxi Kleba, Bam Adebayo, Scotty Barnes, Andrew Wiggins, PJ Tucker, Lou Dort. Someone got, we got, oh, two people with OG Ananobi down at the bottom of their ballot. So um, those are the names that came up, Cody. For me, I don't know how you feel about this. For me, Drew was the guy. Like I, I believe, yeah, go ahead. Make your case for Drew. I think that his understanding of positioning on the ball, his ability to do it without fouling, his hands, and then in particular, this is my favorite quality of Drew Holiday on defense, the strength of his hips, his lower body base, and his legs. And so what ends up happening is he's quick enough to contain most guys in space, but whether it's bigger players like a Luka Doncic or guards that kind of have the ability to get by you a little bit and then when they're around the basket, pivot, turn, try to draw fouls, use strength, whatever it is, you can't do that against him. He's too strong. He's too sturdy. So I tend to trust him against the best uh, in more instances than, than these other guys. Mikhail was obviously in this category for me. I, I think of someone like Drew as I would rather have him than McHale, whereas McHale uses length. He's a different type of kind of isolation defender, I think. So let me let me flip then. Let me make the case for McHale here. Both of them were high on my, on my ballot, by the way. But I think, again, this is one of those philosophical moments where Drew, I see his Drew being quicker than McHale, right? Like he can guard smaller. He can guard quicker point guards. He's stronger, so he can guard up that way. But McHale, those limbs, like yeah. when we're talking about contesting shots i feel like he can get his hand up in someone's face just a little bit better than drew i don't know how much value that that has over it but just like in terms of being a great defender and in terms of having like those kinds of tools we're just working with two very different kinds of tool sets and i think mikhail i I don't know who let's say let's say somebody like like a jimmy butler like a Kawhi leonard like a lebron james is guarding uh is is attacking in isolation who would you rather have guarding them mikhail bridges or drew holiday well are you saying for the big four, like LeBron's huge, right? So, yeah. So I would rather have Drew because of his strength. But I think it depends because Mikhail, I think Mikhail's strength in isolation defense is, you mentioned the limbs, he's really dialed in the cushion that you want to give a ball handler when you have a seven foot something wingspan, whatever, whatever it is that he has. Uh, I mentioned this in Scotty Barnes' video recently where he's also extremely long and I don't think he's completely dialed that in at NBA speeds yet and also you start to get um, you start to get a Rolodex on the players around the league and kind of how much space to give them and what they like to do I think Mikhail's amazing at giving space so against a more powerful guy I think I would probably rather have Drew yeah 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So a name that's actually a little bit lower uh, than I expected from other people. I I shouldn't speak because I don't think I had him number one on my ballot. But Smart being number four, why do you think he dropped so far? It's interesting. You go through this exercise, and I guess now's the time to pause and talk about smart because he has a lot of momentum for defensive player of the year and one that's because he's a great non-big defender and people really want to give I think they really want to give the defensive player of the year award to a non-big defender and two when you look at the traditional bigs that would be the slam dunk candidates for this it's one of those things where they each have flaws so the voters seem to want to move on to someone else that even if they're not quite as good have a better all-around case like Draymond missed a lot of time and the Jazz defense isn't that good this season and they're having problems and on and on and on with smart man I don't know about you Cody going through the categories we did here he, he just keeps coming up in different areas and I say all this to say I think his isolation defense as a generic concept whether it's against a point guard or um, a wing or whatever. I think it's almost like the weakest part of his of his defensive sort of repertoire. Um, he does have some rim protection for a guard. Let's leave that aside because we don't really expect a guard to do that. But I mean, where did he finish in in point of attack? He finished third. We'll see as we go through. I think he's going to be up on a, a number of other categories as one of the better guys. And that was something that struck me. Like, oh. Isolation-wise, I'm not even actually sure that's one of his like three or four best attributes as a defender, and yet he's obviously a good isolation defender. It's it's pretty impressive when you think about it. I think that's what makes him such a valuable defender. Is they have they have rim protection handled. They have some really strong nail defenders on that team, and Marcus Smart just kind of like fills the perimeter gaps for them. Like he doesn't need to be the strongest in any of these areas, but because he's able to be this jack of all trades defensively, high end jack of all trades, that is, that just makes him that much more dangerous. Did I read the other guys receiving votes yet? Did I do that? Um, I think so. I think so. Okay, I know. Um. Herb Jones has come up in at least two of the other receiving votes. And I just want to kind of put a pin in that and make a mental note. Because right before we were recording, we were talking about Herb getting the, uh, what do you call it, the rookie tax. I yeah. like that. Yeah. And for me, like Smart, I'm reminded of this because of what we just said about Smart. He showed up in way more categories than I thought he was going to show up. And then when it came time to, you know, making these decisions, um, I was like, no, I can't get three, four, five guys, whatever it is, more in a category than I like compared to Herb. Herb, Herb is really, really good. And I think may, he may have gotten the rookie. Ta- he may have also gotten a little of the Pelicans tax. I don't know how many people are tuning in constantly to watch the Pelicans at this point in the season. Um, should we go to the next category? 
Yeah, I'll definitely own up to that, though. Like, I, I definitely took the rookie tax, and it, it shows up a couple places here. It's one of those where I'm like, am I being too excited about this rookie? Maybe. Um, I also, whenever I see his name, I want to pronounce him Herb, like I'm cooking with him, like he's a, he's a spice I'm tossing into a meal. So I always have to correct me, like, oh, it's Herb. I say the H, actually. Herb, Herb well, he's, he, he is a spicy defender. Um, let's do switchable defender next. Does that work? Yeah, it's perfect. Okay. So most switchable defender... And this one is going to start to become philosophical because the question here is, do you want a defender who's very good at guarding um, all the positions? And Cody, is it fair to say for the purpose of this conversation defensively that there are like three big defensive positions in this sense? One is the smalls out on the perimeter. Two is wings, you know, uh, rangy forwards, guys that can score and create and things like that. And three would be big men. Is that fair? Okay. That sounds fair. Okay, so the question becomes, do you value someone who is really good in two of those areas and a little weak in the other? Or do you want someone who you can just switch him across the board and then he might not be the best isolation defender. He might not be the best defender in that position he switched onto on the court, but you trust him. You know he's really good. Yeah, do you want me to answer that? Because I have a clear answer of how I voted for it. I do, because it's it's not obvious to me, and I've just left it this way since you know the first time we drafted this ballot a couple of years ago. Yeah, I, I don't want to be like, I'm the end-all, be-all of this answer, but the way that I thought about it is like, if you're a switchable defender, you're kind of like the, uh, you know, you're kind of like the, the, the cork, right? You're shoving in, you're plugging holes, you're stopping things coming, so basically, like, whatever your team needs you to defend you can go defend that. I don't necessarily need you to lock down each possession uh, uh, position, obviously. That's a bonus if you're locking down multiple positions. But I, for a switchable defender, value someone that's able to go one through five, at least in a few positions. And if you can do that fairly well, you scored very high in my ballot. Okay, I kind of like that. I think that makes sense. I probably lean more toward that philosophical approach. So without further ado, I'm not going to complain about this result, but I think the guy that nails what you just described finished second here. So the 2022 winner in this category of the most switchable defender from the Miami Heat is Bam Adebayo. Yeah, and he he was definitely number one on my ballot. He, okay, I, I should say that that this was this was a, a situation where everyone kind of disagreed a little bit. There was a lot of variety and divergence. No, I don't think anybody got two first place votes, votes here. Yeah. So you had Bam uh, number one and he ended up winning. So, so go on, make, make the case. But the, the guy you're going to talk about, he was second on my ballot. So he was at least right there. But the thing that I always come to with Bam is I'm pretty sure um, I've seen a lot of the, the stats floating around on Twitter lately. But I think Bam switches basically like mo- so much more than any other player. And that's so paramount to how the Miami Heat play defense. And, you know, I've talked about how I've actually wished for him to not always be out on the perimeter just because they don't always have strong rim, rim protection. But the ability to always switch as much as he does and really go out on an island against guards to me as somebody that's also big enough to go in the post i'm like yeah that's a super valuable switchable defender and i think he's probably the one that could guard i I don't know how to phrase this but if you were to like have a percentage for how well he guards uh each position i think he'd be like the highest sum of ones and fives does that make sense that yeah no okay he's a brown belt across the board yeah exactly yeah exactly yeah okay so i think there's a guy who's a little better and that's the second place finisher i was alluding to and that's draymond green now 
I don't know if people accounted for missed time a lot, or maybe he's not quite what he looked like at the beginning of the year coming off the back injury. We'll, we'll see how that plays out. I don't have a great feel right now for what he's going to look like in the most pivotal moments against the best teams in the postseason. But going with that philosophy, and I had Bam very high as well, so I completely understand him winning. It's a similar thing. When I ask myself, like, if we're switch heavy, and we're switching a lot, and we need that scheme, and this guy ends up on somebody. Um, I think he, like, I have seen possessions from Draymond Green where he locks down all five positions, not holds his own, right? Like, absolutely locks them down. Like, make some, make some absolutely nutty play, moving his feet like he's 6'2", and then swiping down at the ball like he's Michael Jordan, and then running out in transition and throwing a lob. That to me was kind of the the thought that popped into my head with this category was Draymond. But the two of them actually had some distance up at the top. So I don't know how much, um, you know, we're disagreeing here. Yeah, I, I guess the one thing, because I, I agree with what you're saying. I think almost if we if we cut out fives and went one through four on switchable defender, mm, I mm. think Draymond would have been it for me. But when I'm thinking like I'm going to the extremes like this, like I don't even know who your number one would be. Trey Young, Kyrie Irving, something, someone like that. And then at the five, you have to guard like Embiid or Jokic or something like that. I would just rather have Bam guarding somebody like Embiid or Jokic more than Draymond. That is a great point. I, I think that's a fantastic point. Probably why Bam Adebayo won this category. We should mention who finished third. He was also up there on my ballot for something very similar where he can kind of hold his own against big men in a way that Okay, outside of like Jokic and Embiid and the very best big men scores, you actually think, oh, I don't want my mediocre big men trying to attack him in a switch, and that's Marcus Smart. And so the Celtics switch Smart a lot. He finished in a group here that was very similar to Jared Vanderbilt in Minnesota, Scotty Barnes, and Maxi Kleba. And then unless you want to talk about any of those, a bunch of other guys just kind of were stragglers also getting votes on ballots. I'll, I'll just read them off. Mikhail Bridges, OG Ananobi, Jared Jackson Jr., uh, Nikola Batum, Giannis, Dorian Finney-Smith from the Mavs, and then Jimmy Butler and Herb Jones. Again, just creeping up on getting the, getting the rookie tax. Uh, Herb can kind of, he can kind of hold his own physically with, with bigger guys. And Herb's one of those guys... I don't know how much we're going to talk about him today, but I, I just have loved kind of scouting him because he's one of those guys that they will just stick on a point guard and he will just swallow that guy like a tarantula. And then some big scoring important wing will come in and he'll do the same. He'll give he'll give him the treatment the next night. Anyway, any of those other names you want to talk about before we move on? All right. I have a I have a herb point and then I have a smart point I want to make before we move on. But I have a question for you for Herb. I have a question for you. Yep. I have a question. Ben. I'm ready. I'm ready. Fire away. Okay. Are you ready for this one? Well, now you're getting me excited. So okay. I don't know if I'm ready anymore. Okay. F- fill in the blank. Herb Jones is the best perimeter defensive rookie since blank. Wow. Um, the best perimeter defensive rookie since, I I don't know, uh, Kirilenko? Does he, does he, is he too interior based? I, I mean, he was a shot-blocking machine. I always saw Kirilenko as being like a help side. Yeah, he was. Type. I'm yeah. just trying to think of legit rookie defenders who just popped that hard. Like, it didn't take another year. What, what's your answer? I, 
I don't know if I have one. <laughs> you have no idea. I don't know yeah. if I have one. I have no idea. I, I think I no the answer is her. I mean, her might be the best defensive rookie I've seen. Like, I, I might say that. Not might. I just said it. I don't know why I said I might see that. But let, let me go back, because I think this is another point you might be interested in. So Marcus Smart scores, scores third in this category, right? But there's another player that is absent in the voting here that I think is actually really similar. Shorter guard, or not even like a shorter guard, but a guard is strong, can guard up, scored really high in other categories. Drew Holiday. Why do you think that Drew Holiday didn't garner some points here? And do you think that it has to do with just the way that we're viewing the Boston Celtics and Marcus Smart right now? No, I think I think I think of Smart as being a little bit a little bit more valuable in this category one through five up up the categories up the uh, positions. Excuse me. I mean, for instance, one thing Smart does extraordinarily well, and I think Drew does a pretty good job of this. But Smart's just phenomenal is entry denial in the post once he switches onto a big with that with that three-quarter front that he likes to use just understanding where the backside help is uh then of course he's the, he's the master um for better or worse of flopping when he needs to or 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 claiming position and getting hit and then falling over as a means to take a foul so i, I do think he's a little bit um you know better sort of in this category than someone like Drew. Drew and Drew and Smart are so interesting historically because they're putting together consecutive seasons of just great perimeter play. And I think in five or ten years when we look back and we and we put together like the pantheon of all time perimeter defenders, I think they're both gonna be in that conversation. Wow. Yeah, I think I agree with that. And it, it, it doesn't seem like that they're taping off with age like drew it almost feels like he was kind of a bit more lift when he was younger and he's kind of bulked up and still retains so much of that value yeah um speaking of tapering off our our next category here is the highest motor in the nba the highest motor and i have to say this produced the absolute funniest results i don't think i've ever seen results like this when trying to take ballots from people who we watch games with um the winner of the 2022 Thinking Basketball Defensive Award for highest motor in the league, I think fittingly, is going to Jared Vanderbilt from the Minnesota Timberwolves, who just, just edged out Gary Payton II. Very, very close. That, we almost had co-winners there again. But this was a category where outside of um, those two guys, Vanderbilt and... Uh, GP2 appeared on a lot of ballots. And then Giannis and Caruso were also on a couple ballots, but everyone else kind of went in different directions. And so we also didn't have people, people were like, I don't know, I don't want to talk about motor that much. I don't want to, I don't want to fill in many names here for motor. So other names we had, uh, Matisse Thibel, Alex Caruso, Scotty Barnes, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Marcus Smart, and then you 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 got you got to give it up for the New Orleans Pelicans love Jose Alvarado and some of you might be going who is Jose Alvarado he's this little bench guard who comes in the game and basically plays like a taller Muggsy Bogues he's like a jitterbug out there he just constantly runs around so I, I understand the sentiment I will say personally um, after having watched him for a while and then also looking up the movement data on how much players are moving around based on the optical tracking, Scotty Barnes was one of the first guys that jumped out to me, but uh, Vanderbilt and Gary Payton at the top of this category. So this was, this is a really hard 
category for me because I don't remember intensely scouting it. Like, I think I just looked at it and I'm like, oh, it's these four guys. And then I just like threw four names on there. But like, if you told me to be like, what is your process? How do you determine if a player has a really high motor versus these other players? I'm, I'm not really sure. I, I would just be like, I don't know. When I watch Vanderbilt, he's everywhere. When I watch Matisse yep. Thibault, he's everywhere. When I watch Gary Payton, he's just in someone's stuff 94 feet from the basket, and then he's just, like, blocking someone and throwing down, like, a reverse alley-oop on the other end. It's, like, it's been six seconds. Like, what happened? So I, I don't know if you have a better process for figuring out motor, but this feels very uh, very nebulous in a way that, like, wow, my lights just flashed in my room. That was weird. It was very nebulous in a way where it's, like, I don't know. I just know it when I see it. You know it when you see it. It's a, a Supreme Court definition or something. Um, oh, yeah, i I think of it. I think of it from the inverse. That's where I start. I think about players who conserve energy, rest, have sort of lazy moments. Um, I think about it from there, and then I scale back and I start eliminating people. And I think, boy, you know, when I watch this guy, he's constantly moving around. I like I like the Gary Payton the second shout out from you there because what will end up happening is you're picking up 94 feet and then you drop into, I don't know, Golden State sometimes will drop into their 1-2-2 zone and then he's at the top of the zone. And unlike a lot of other zones, that 1-2-2 zone, the guy at the top can alternate positions with people. He's got to move up and down and then back up. So he's helping in multiple ways. And you just have these possessions where he does this throughout the entire possession. The flip side to me I think the argument against Gary Payton and that ilk is that if you play 15 or 20 minutes a game, it's easier to do that. And I say all this to say motor may sound like a superficial thing. It may just sound like a fun category to talk about. But over the years in scouting players, specifically on defense, I think motor is really, really, really important. Really important. In fact, I've had people ask me, well, what's the difference between a typical Michael Jordan prime defensive season and a Kobe Bryant peak defensive, you know, early in his career? And Kobe 2099, maybe a little 2001, who's a really good perimeter defender. But even then, the first, first thing that comes to mind for me is motor. Like when Jordan wants to go, especially at the end of the 80s, he can do everything he's doing on offense and then still fly around on defense. And he's doing it for 41 minutes a game. So for me, that's why Scotty Barnes comes to mind because the dude's playing 36 minutes a game, but he runs around out there like, you know, someone put a firecracker in his pants. And it's like, that is actually a skill that sort of unlocks or supports constant defensive value because you don't have the breakdowns. You can make closeouts and recover. You can be put in different schemes that aren't just, hey, switch a lot or stand in the corner or conserve movement. And so... That's to me how I think of it. I think about it starting with guys who rest or, or don't move quite as much and just pruning my way all the way down to like, who are the players that play a lot and constantly are involved in active possessions when they do play? Yeah, and, and you know, maybe it's my, my Bucks bias here, but I really like the Giannis shout out too when you're saying all that because I'm thinking of a guy that like basically has to have Coach Bud reduce his minutes because he doesn't like know how to slow down. Like it's like LeBron, yep. like you get in a playoff game and LeBron, even in like 2017, 2018, he could play 47 minutes because like he knows where to pick his spots, right? He knows when to like switch on to this guy's going to, Giannis doesn't do that. And like it sometimes hurts him where it's like, dude, like just it's, it's March. Like you don't have to dive into the crowd for that specific ball. It's like you, you can't turn it off sometimes. He does. He does have to dive into the, 
into the crowd for that, Paul. <laughs> I think Giannis, um, he's a really interesting philosophical one here because, as you said, he can't even play in the regular season realistically, like 38 to 40 minutes. No one plays more than 38 minutes these days. But he's a guy who kind of will sit on the weak side a lot. And so sometimes you might watch him and think, well, he gets, he gets to, he's not moving quite as much. If I look at the movement data, he's not in the top 10. If I look at film, there are possessions where he just looks like he's kind of hanging out on the weak side. But what I care about, and you mentioned it, is he's always ready to go and he always wants to go. And so he's in his stance, engaged, potentially communicating, arms out. And then if he needs to move to help or come over and rotate to protect the paint or switch out onto somebody because the action calls for it. I, I think I've had possessions in videos over the years looking at the Bucks defense where Giannis may be in a drop or Giannis may be weak side and then suddenly, boom, a shooter comes into the action and he's like, no, I got to get up there. That's the, that's the coverage here. I have to run out. And then from there, he can either recover, he can switch on that guy as we talked about. So I, I do think of him as one of these high motor players and, um, it's it's a skill, man. If you if you have seventy percent of that, you don't get the same value extracted throughout the game. Go watch Kevin Garnett. If you don't think motor <laughs> is a skill, go watch Kevin Garnett. Yeah, this this I want to maybe one day name the awards after players, and I think this one would be the Kevin Garnett Award for um, drank too much Red Bull before <laughs> before the game and then went a little crazy. Uh, let's move on to to another one. This is best hands player with the best hands in the league. And I will say in this category, there was a kind of standout, someone who really ran away with it. I don't think he unanimously got every first place vote, but especially compared to some of the categories we just looked at, this was not close. This was a blowout. The winner of the 2022 award for best hands. Also, we should have like trophies. Don't you think this one, this, and this is fitting because I think this one should just be like a, a glove. Don't you think? Like, so if, if it's Gary Payton, the second though, should there be like a glove, like with a mitten side of it? Like, are we going to have like a double thing here? Are you going mitten? Gary Payton, the second is the winner of this award. And I always thought it was a missed opportunity. I don't like calling him the mitten because his dad was the glove and the mitten makes it sound like to me, yeah, he's kind of he's like a reduced version of the glove. He's soft. The mittens are fluffy and they don't have they don't have thing, you know, they don't have finger holes. And so I this was before people started calling them the mitten. I saw Gary Payton at the very beginning of the year and I went, "Well, if his if his dad is the glove, that dude is the gauntlet." And that's how I feel about Gary Payton. Oh, I love that. Oh my god, that's it. He should be the gauntlet. Gary Payton henceforth is the gauntlet. Oh, and I'm gonna drop. I'm gonna drop a really hot take as well right now. Maybe someone will pluck this out and make a soundbite and pass it around because this is fun. I think Gary ba- Gary Payton the second is more dangerous on the ball, stopping the ball than his dad. Full stop. I want to agree with you. I might even agree with you, <laughs> but and I think this is a huge but. Gary Payton across like six seasons in the 90s, was averaging like 40 minutes a game. That bumped up to like 43 minutes a game in the playoffs. And he was like the highest load guy 
on a Sonics team multiple years in a row, which actually increased as the 90s went on. And I think there are moments, there are moments when he locks in like 90 feet away where I'm like, this is the Gary Payton I hear about. But I think mm-hmm. it's it's one of those where the totality of it, like the minute per minute basis that they're in, Gary Payton the second is easily the better defensive player. But I wonder, I just wonder what would happen if we just plucked Gary Payton the first out and then had him play like 19 minutes a game and be like, just play defense. That is all I want you to do. Play defense and dunk. Okay, I buy that. That's fair. I think that's a good way to look at it. I mean, you. I think you and I both think the reputation and the, and the defensive player of the year award 96 for Peyton is, is a little overstated. Am I remembering that correctly? Absolutely. Yeah. On, on the flip side... His even even with carrying that offensive load and playing those heavy minutes, he obviously had great hands and his just to use an indicator or a specific stat that we can kind of compare across generations. um, His steal percentages were always at like three and a half percent, which means he gets about three point five steals every 100 possessions. And this is this is so fun, Cody, Um, just just for comparison this season, Gary Payton, the second is at 3.8%. So, you know, I think I think with your point, you could make the case the other way. But certainly in the way they deploy him in a specialized role, especially when dudes are bringing the ball up the court in open space. And it's so hard. It's so much harder to guard today in space because they don't let defenders have any physical contact away from the basket. Whereas Peyton was a fairly handsy physical defender um, for like a 6'3", 6'4", guard at the time. And again so much of the catches there in isolation would be maybe like around the elbow, the pinch post within 18 feet. Peyton, I'm just so impressed with, if you dribble near him when you're bringing it up near half court, crossing half court, if you're not careful, he, he's going to pick your pocket. And it is spectacular to watch. See, what's interesting is, is 90s Gary Peyton. I almost see him as more like a Drew-ish defender where he's physical, he's really strong. But when we're talking like, physical abilities when we're talking athleticism his son blows him out of the water like gary payton the second the gauntlet's athleticism is off the (laughs) charts if we were to have just like the most athletic players he's got to be right in that conversation like yeah he's unbelievable exploding like any direction just unbelievable to watch he looks like like a if you did um what are they called cross training events or something you know where you have like speed power vertical leap you know put him in a canoe and have him row for half an hour like get get the superstars going from the seven you ever watch that cody you ever see the superstars on abc no no i haven't if you're if you're too young to know what in the world i'm talking about check out i'm sure youtube has some old superstars events where basically they take the best athletes from different sports and then have them compete in other athletic endeavors that aren't that sport and they film it and they put it together and they give them points and it's stuff like team canoeing or tug of war or it 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 was spectacular it was it was the 1980s my friend the 1970s what a time um we should mention this is this is a fun category we should mention the second place i'm so psyched about this the second place finisher in this category is a surprise name for many folks but i had him very high on my ballot i agree i i, I think he has amazing hands absolutely unbelievable hands nikola jokic And he's a guy who gets a lot of deflections. He's near the lead leaders in steals, despite being a big. 
And as I've said before, in studying him, he gets steals that are credited as blocks because nowadays there's this weird thing where like if if you do the Carl Malone swipe down while sh- someone's in their shooting motion, sometimes it's credited as a block instead of a, a steal. And if you actually transferred this, I think Jokic again would be in the top 10 in steal rates. And of course he plays a ton. And one thing about his hands that I've always admired is how accurate they are. He's got these little snakes that jab out at the last second and are very accurate targeting the ball. So Jokic second, Matisse Thibel also up here, DeJounte Murray, Alex Caruso, and then some other guys getting votes. I like this one. Chris Paul. I think he has great hands. Fred Van Vliet. Here's Marcus Smart again. Here's Herb Jones again. These guys are just, they're just there. All the time. They're just really good at a bunch of things. Uh, DeAnthony Melton. And then hmm, I wonder who could have put this feller on here. Um, Andre Drummond has a vote. Cody, do you know anything about that? Um, yeah, I will defend Andre Drummond being on my ballot. I think Andre Drummond has really tremendous hands. And he's, he's shown it like since, since he was, I don't know if it was his rookie year, but if you remember the play, like he got switched on to Dwayne Wade a couple plays in a row, just ripped him two plays in a row. So he's always had this ability to have like these really quick, accurate hands, especially, or even against smaller players. And he's, he's always hovering at the top of the league and steals. Uh, when he's in the paint, he's just disruptive in them. I, I thought he deserved a little bit of a shout out here. Okay. We're going to put a poll, see if, see if we can, uh, the last poll, by the way, they, they allowed you to have your Oscar Robertson, Drew Holiday comparison from the Bucks episode. Oh, I didn't even yeah. see that poll. Yeah. The poll, I think, I think it's uh, Spotify. Mm. You, can, you can access the poll. And if you go there, um, we have polls after the show. And, and that one was about whether we were going to let you have the Drew Holiday Oscar. If people haven't listened to that episode and they don't know the context of that, they're going to be like, wait a second, what? Drew Holiday <laughs> is Oscar Robertson? Um, so I, well, maybe we'll put a poll and see how people feel about Andre Drummond's hands. Should we go to the big picture? I mean, the the last category. We missed a category. We have one more to go before the big picture. We okay, have, what, we, what category we, is that? We have to talk about nail defense. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, thank goodness you're here. I mean, we can't what, miss what, nail defense. What would we do without you, Cody? <laughs> uh, I would just, I would finish the episode and then I'd post it and then I'd be like, oh, I forgot this giant philosophical category, which is, which is crazy. So nail defense is the sort of term we've been using and maybe it's not the best, but it is a term for guys who do a lot of damage around the elbow area away from the ball and then, of course, sometimes they can just be on the weak side. Think of it as like off-ball, non, non-rim non protection category. I think that's the way I started to think about this, right? 
So you could be digging down, you could be sliding over to help on drives, you could be getting in passing lanes, and then you could, you know, be on the weak side zoning up passing lanes and trying to figure out, you know, where the pass is going to go. Are you going to defer it? Or are you going to tip it? It's kind of a kind of a tough category. Yeah, I this was the one that I went back and forth on mm-hmm. in a lot of different ways. I'm like, do, am I am I going to give it to guys who are more rim protectors? Do I want to give it to like help side protectors? I left off a couple. I left off at least one guy that maybe should have been on there. I, I really didn't know. There were a couple of guys that I'm like, this is for sure his category. But then there are others where I'm like, I'm, I'm not really sure if I'm like biasing towards a couple of, of key things I'm watching here. So I want to start with the stragglers here. We had Jared Vanderbilt picking up another vote. We had Paul George. I like I like Paul George um, in this cat. Like he's so long and so good at getting in passing lanes. And I think he's. I think at this point, Cody's kind of become an underrated defender, um, especially the last week coming back from injury. He looks really engaged defensively, and when he with his length and the way he when he plays like that, he's he's just really strong. And I think this is his strong suit. So D'Anthony Melton, Bruce Brown, Alex Caruso, Lonzo Ball, Robert Covington, Gary Payton the second other guys picking up votes in this category. Uh, Herb Jones finished fourth. I think, was that his best finish? I mean, he just keeps showing up on ballots, but Herb is also super long and dangerous in passing lanes. And then you get you get those good hands, and man, you do not want him sliding over in your gap or digging. I personally would not want Herb Jones digging down toward my drives from the, from the outside. Uh, but we have a top three. Number three is Jason Tatum. Number two is Marcus Smart again. <laughs> and I kind of wonder if, the, like, I went back and forth in my head, like, is this Smart's best category or is point of attack his best category? And then the winner, a healthy winner, again, a clear-cut winner among the group, the Thinking Basketball 2022 best, quote-unquote, nail defender. Cody, your favorite. I'm going to give the floor to you. Matisse Thibel. I'm so excited about this. this is a really big moment. This is a really big moment right now. <laughs> Who do you want to thank? I, I first of all, I want to thank Matisse. Like I, I want to thank Matisse Thibel for being Matisse Thibel. Like this is none of this would be possible if you didn't exist. Uh, but I, I don't know how many hyperbolic statements am I allowed to make in an episode? You you had I don't know. We we talked about Herb. I have one that I'm saving. I have one really big hyperbolic statement I'm saving. Uh, Matisse Thibel might be, the way that I define nail defender might be the best nail defender I've ever seen. Like, mm. it, it doesn't make sense. Like, this, I, I use the term once in a while. I use teleporting. He he legitimately teleports. Like, I have a play, I think about, it might have been from last season, where I slowed it down, like, half speed, and somebody makes a pass, and in half speed, it's almost like Neo in bullet time. Like, everyone else is like, Ooh, and Thibel is just, like, moving at normal speed, picks it off, and sprints down the court and dunks. And I'm like, what just happened? Like, he he's unbelievable at the nail. I could make this entire episode me just, like, crying about how beautiful it is to watch Matisse Thibel play from the nail. Why do NBA players make a low grunt when they are playing in half speed? What, what happened there? <laughs> what, what else would it be? I don't know. That's how speed works. It wouldn't be like, ah, no, that would be like double speed. Should we do the best picture? Yeah. You don't want to say anything about Matisse? You think I covered it? I think we've covered it. I I think we've fawned over. I mean, I think that's well established. Okay. How good he is uh, in passing lanes, closing out, recovering, um, just digging, like coming in from behind, rear view blocks from the elbow. It's Jordan-esque, the way he likes to come in um, from sort of that 
foul line area and swoop down and crush people. So we could talk about that till we're blue in the face, but I think we gotta I think we gotta get to our last but not least category, the best paint protector. Now, going back to what I said at the top about maybe adding categories next year, one thing I realized as I was going through this, this is not best pure shot blocker. Your ability to put yourself in the paint, to recognize threats, to rotate, to challenge shots without shot blocking them. I would rather have a guy, if if you said, give me a better paint defender, you're going to defend the paint better if you get in there and challenge a ton of shots compared to missing half those shots, but the 50% of the time you do rotate in, you swat it into the third row. I want the guy who's going to rotate and challenge the shots. So it's not best pure shot blocker, if you will. Like for me, um, someone who's like a best, better pure shot blocker would be like a Rob Williams. In the past, I've used Nerland's Noel. Like when he's there and he times it up, it's, it's, it's going back. <laughs> Good luck. But best paint defender is more, it's the, it's the highest value real estate on the court. It means everything to understand the threats and rotate to them and provide some level of resistance. With that said, do you want to say anything before I reveal the... I'm trying to decide. Are you going to start from the bottom or are you going to go straight from the from the winner? Oh, maybe I should start from the bottom again. What do you think? Yeah, I think you should start from the bottom. Okay. So the most fascinating thing about this category to me is it had the tightest kind of voting results. We only had seven players get votes. So I will talk about the top three and finish with the winner, I guess. But Evan Mobley, Jakob Pertl... Draymond Green and Jaron Jackson Jr. were the four guys kind of also receiving votes here for best paint protector. Okay, Any so thoughts on them? Two, two comments, actually, and this is going to be relevant for the top three as well. Evan Mobley definitely got hit by the rookie tax for me. He just was. Like, I, I was taking into account past seasons. I was looking at how well, how many years in a row players have been doing this. Um, I think that also docked... Uh, have you said his name? You said Jaron, right? I didn't just spoil Jaron, did I? No, no didn't you I said say Jaron? Yeah, you said Jaron. Yeah. 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 He, he was a shit, like maybe a spot lower on my rim protection here, on my paint protection, just because I want to see it a little bit more. Mobley, I want to see it for another season or so. Um, and then the other point, Draymond Green and someone else that's going to appear in the top three. I didn't have somebody like Draymond on here because of the amount that they're actually contesting in the paint. And to me, this feels like a category that should be there because I left off him and this other guy because it's just the volume of those rim contests are just significantly lower than the true paint paint protectors. Like Yaka Pirtle is usually around like 10 10 shots contested around six feet per 75 possessions. Draymond Green might be around like three, four, something like that. I I, I think he's uh, just under five. I think it's 4.6. It's what what you pulled for the rim contest per 75, right? Okay, yeah. So he's a little above four, but still, that's uh, I could probably be looking at those stats as I'm saying this. Uh, (laughs) No, it's more fun to try to see how your memory is these days. Just just make up the numbers. But my point stands is like, I bias towards guys that are in the paint a lot more, contesting a lot more, as opposed to those that come in less often to make tremendous contests. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. Um, Yeah, yeah, I I get that. I get that. I don't really think that that's a 
sort of bad way to do it or anything. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that approach. I think what's interesting to me as someone who would champion Draymond for very high in this category is deterrence is not picked up in that number. That's the, that's the problem. So if you were to say, Ben, um, we have a stat that captures the amount of time these players rotate into the paint and then nothing happens. And it turns out Draymond's on the perimeter. He's doing all this other stuff. He only rotates half the time compared to Jakob Pertl. Then I would say, okay, I completely understand what you're talking about uh, philosophically. And then maybe, you know, maybe we can argue about whether I should drop Draymond on my ballot. But my concern here is that a guy like Draymond's being punished because he's so good at helping, rotating, getting there early, and deterring shots when he's there because of his timing and his length and his reputation that guys aren't shooting as much into him, whereas the tracking data is going to pick up. If you're, a, like if you're a drop big, right? If you're a drop big man, you're going to get a ton of shots taken against you in the, in the league today. No matter how good you are, there's just not going to be a drop big man that's like four, four shots per 75 taken against you. So that would be my concern with kind of thinking about it from that statistical perspective. Okay. Yeah. Have I changed? Have I? Ch- you're, you look like like you're pondering. Have I changed your mind on this? I wouldn't say you changed my mind, but you're making me think about it a little bit mm, more. Yeah. You're, that, that's really fascinating. I like that. I like that. Yeah. So that's actually why Draymond to me is is really high in this category, and it is a philosophical thing. Where again. I wouldn't put him as one of the five or 10 best pure shot blockers in the league or the best pure rim protect. If you just said standing in front of the rim, do I want Draymond or do I want, I don't know, even it's a Zubats. I might take Zubats a lot of the time, but coming in and helping and protecting the paint, I value the rotations. I value being early. I value deterrence essentially, you know, getting guys not to shoot because you're there. So that's my that's my take on that. Uh, okay. Any anything else on those guys or philosophically before we reveal the top three and the winner? Nope. Go for it. Okay. the The winner is um, it's just going to stun you. It's just going to be shocking. So number three in this category is Giannis Antetokounmpo. Number two, he appeared on every ballot, and yet he finished a distant second. Number two from the Cleveland Cavaliers. Jared Allen, man, do you, do you want to stop and talk about that at all? Because he's just been fantastic to me this season on defense. Yeah, he showed indicators in prior seasons, but I think he, he stepped it up a notch. It feels like he's a little bit more mobile. It feels like he's more accurate with his swipes there. It just, he feels more confident in the paint. That's a, that's a really nebulous way to say it. I've said nebulous like seven times today. I got to figure out a better word for that. But yeah, he's just been a breakout defensive star this season. I mean, an interesting thing for me to monitor going forward is uh, how much of this is Allen, who I've given a lot of credit, and how much of this is Mobley playing next to him and being able to... D- it's kind of like the Brook the Brooke Lopez Giannis thing, right? For a few, the last few years, or maybe not last year, but when the Bucks in 19 and 20 were really humming defensively, there were a lot of people talking about you know, maybe Brooke is the best defender. His indicators are incredible. Maybe he should be the defensive player of the year. And I love what Brooke has been able to do as a drop big in, at the sort of this this second part of his career, if you will. But I think Giannis is the guy that makes that happen. It's not as clear for me in Cleveland. And Allen looks more like the mold of a dominant drop big 
independent of who's around him. But Mobley, by you know, sometimes guarding perimeter players, playing with three seven-footers and saying, I'm going to do whatever it takes, sitting on the weak side. I do wonder if there's anything going on there where as we go to year two and year three of this, we, we, start, to, we start to go, now, wait a second. 2020, 2022, they had Allen second and he was on every ballot and Mobley got the rookie tax. I don't know how I feel about that. So just something to monitor. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that going forward. No, that's a great way because I didn't know how to separate that. But again, rookie tax. Yeah. Uh, So the winner of the best paint protector for the 19th time in a row. uh, It was unanimous. Everyone had him first. Rudy Gobert from the Utah Jazz. Cody, I know you're excited about this. Gobert, I mean, this is still, this is his wheelhouse, right? Like... He he doesn't have the awareness of Draymond. He doesn't have the horizontal kind of maybe switchiness of a Jaron Jackson, but he's so good at constantly pouncing on threats, using his length, not really getting too out of position. And in fact, he's so good that, <laughs> that now Utah should otherwise have a, a horrible defense, but they don't. And then when they get kind of attacked and broken down on the perimeter, Rudy also takes the blame because apparently he's supposed to guard the entire court by himself, but... He can't do that, so he can only guard the paint really well. I'm trying to think of the the most recent game that the Jazz just blew. Who was that against the Warriors? Was it that was against the Warriors? They had a 16 point lead with seven minutes left, and the Warriors went on an 18-0 run. And all 18 of them may have been six threes. I can't quite yeah. remember. It it was spectacular. So like the thing that just blew my mind when I was watching that, there are so many plays. Like when you have drop coverage you know, there's going to be players getting into the paint, but it's like a controlled getting into the paint. There's a chaser. There's a system setting that up. There are so many times when there was just one of the Warriors player in space going downhill at Rudy. And I'm like, this guy's literally just defending everything. Like he is, like I I talked about like the cork keeping everything together. He is just like the duct tape holding together this entire ship. And I I don't even believe how good of a defense they have just with, with him. They don't even have that good of a defense, but he is literally like the only defensive player that's worth assault right now. Royce O'Neal's great and whatever else. Mike Conley's past his prime, but, but Rudy Gobert to me, hyperbolic time I, I i think he's the best pain protector this century and i think the only two players that i'll think about uh that compare are either tim duncan or dwight howard no ben wallace nope i don't think he's big enough interesting very very interesting i think i probably provide i don't know that's a good that's a good group i don't want to i don't want to get myself in trouble by trying to parse that group those those guys are all up there i mean he's definitely one of the five four or five best paint protectors this century or or rim protectors, however you want to think about this. Just some numbers really quickly since we alluded to them earlier. He has about nine shots contested at the basket every 75 possessions. And Cody, now I've been confused. What's the expected field goal percentage against him? It used to be a huge negative number. And now our data is all messed up. I mean, this is, I apologize. I don't know what we're going to do. Doesn't it say negative 12? Am I reading it correctly? I, maybe I just can't read it. I thought a second ago when I looked at this data, he I mean, he's always near the top of the league, like, but it doesn't say that to me. It says negative, negative 0.2. Oh, no. I, I see. You're, you're on a... It's a different player. He's definitely negative 12. Negative 12. Thank yeah, you. Okay. Yes. My ability to read things on the World Wide Web <laughs> has gone down uh, drastically during this one-hour podcast. If you would like to help me in any way, head on over to patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball. Um, just we don't have reading lessons or the ability to use technology, but 
<laughs> that that would probably help. Uh, we do have extra content, extra videos, extra stats. We'll try to get some of these stats defensively up from this episode for Patreon subscribers. Patreon.com slash Thinking Basketball. That's the best way to support this show. Another great way, especially now that we're potting more frequently and, and getting into awards and things like that. If you haven't and you have the inclination, leave a rating and a review for us somewhere that you listen to podcasts. That always helps quite a bit. Cody, anything else you want to say before we get out the door? Uh, no. I love Matisse Thibel and Rudy Gobert. How did it, how did it go? I mean, you know, like, was it, you were nervous before you yeah. had stress. Did it turn out okay? You know, that was like lighter and fluffier than I expected. I feel, I feel soft and I feel fulfilled. I don't know why that's lighter and fluffier, but uh, this is, I guess, how I'm ending the podcast. So we'll save your Mikhail Bridges overrated conversation for next time. Wow! Uh, you're doing that to me right now. Oh, no. I'm going to fade off into the distance. As always, thanks so much for listening to us all the way until the end. And wherever you are listening, I hope you're having a great day.